marketing tools, and software. We rely on them for pretty much everything we do on our websites, but they are confusing. Their functionalities overlap, their sales pages are not very clear, and they don't seem to be doing that one thing that you need from them that would be an absolute game changer for you. For that reason, we very often swap the tools that we use to run our business. So in this episode, Mark and I are going to be sitting down and talk you through 11 swaps that we made to some of the tools that we use and why we change so that you can consider your own swaps. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. The Flamingo is back and the proper intros and outros are back as well. So let's get started with that. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about some uh, software swaps that we've made. I mean, a lot of questions that we get in Autoria Hacker Pro and all our Facebook groups, etc., are about tools. So uh, I think it's important to talk about them and we'll talk about some mistakes we've made picking some of them, how we swapped, how things are going for us and you know what we might regret from the tools that we swapped from. Uh, but before that, I have to ask Mark how it's going. So let's do that. How's it going, Mark? It's going good as always. I'm sure everyone knows this by now. But I just wanted to add to that that this isn't an episode to kind of like hate on tools because they necessarily oh, did, yeah, we're gonna make friends. did bad things or whatever. Like a lot of these tools we're mentioning are really, really good. They're just not yeah. specifically what we need for our specific set of requirements the way we like to do things. And it's I guess it's more discussion about the evolution of choosing tools and software and how that changes over time in your business. Because whatever you start with, even if you follow our advice, as your business grows, you will have changing needs and things will things will change. So you have to kind of have a bit of flexibility. But I hope this podcast will also give you some insight into the into how difficult it can be to to migrate from one tool to another sometimes, and also on you know how to make those decisions as well. Yeah, it's like I was actually going through a lot of these tools, and I was like, would I use it again? Like it's one of the questions I asked myself on like a lot of them. And honestly, for about half of them, I said like, yep, I would probably use it again. Like for smaller projects, or like like very often we just upgrade. Like we take the next level with like more functionalities, etc. But on some, like, for example, we'll talk about WP Rocket at some point, right? I mean, we have upgraded to something called uh, Nitro Pack, which is better, but it's a lot more expensive. And, like, you know, on a basic site that we're just starting out for, I don't think it's worth the expense. Uh, and, I, and WP Rocket is perfect for that niche. I'm really happy with that, and I still use it. But, like, for sites that have, like, dozens of marketing pixels and a lot of analytics scripts and stuff like that, uh, and where we're generating a, a good amount of money, then I'm happy to spend more on something like Nitro Pack. So, yeah, it's not like I just want to say that too, especially if there's some tool owners that will be like listening to this, etc. Uh, we're not we're not hating on your tools. It's just sometimes it's like we found a better alternative, and we want to talk about that because I feel a lot of people never really consider their tools or like when they really uh, like entrenched in one tool, they don't swap it. But very often, swapping a tool can make a massive difference in your business. I'm thinking like shopping carts, for example, like adding abilities to do upsells and things like that. You can really make a lot more money, tracking better, understanding better what's making sales. All these things can really make you a lot of money and can be a leap forward as much as you know gaining new rankings and and other stuff. It's basically improving your technology, except like you just pay a third party to take care of that, which is quite important in our business. But before, like, let's stop teasing people. Oh, one more tease, actually. There is a subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Go and click on that. Subscribe as well. Click on the Smash bell. Smash that like Shop. button. Yeah, you know, like uh, Graham Stefan, you know, the guy who talks about, um, and it's like, uh, it's, I need to get as good as him at like transitioning to the like us. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll practice this on this podcast. But anyway, like that. But before, because we want you to like it, let's just finish into the content and let's jump onto the first. Uh, tool, which actually, let's do, let's do Thrive Architect first, actually. I want to do Thrive Architect first because it's going to concern most people who are listening to it. And there's a whole debate about page builders, right? Thrive Architect is a page builder, it's a visual page builder, so you're able to drag and drop, etc. You've got to take into consideration when this tool came out for. Like, it came out when it was just the default WordPress editor, there was not as many customization options, even in themes on WordPress, etc. And Thrive it was it used to be called Thrive Content Builder. It used to be one of the first ways that came out to visually edit your website. And like a lot of people, and it, it has its problems, and we're going to get to that in a second, but a lot of people have made their first bucks online because Thrive exists. Like when we started Autoria Hacker was more or less when Thrive came out. And um, we recommended it, and we've used it for many years. 
And, and a lot of people, like, I'm not very happy with it for some reasons that we'll talk about in a second. But actually, a lot of people have made, a, like, their first books and how well they are today because Thrive existed at the time because it was the first time we could actually create proper sites the way we wanted. And so just for that, I'm quite grateful a lot. Like, we've made good money because of them as well. Uh, but we've also lost money because of them. So I think we need to talk about that too, uh, to be perfectly honest. But let's first talk about the swap. We swapped Thrive Architect with um, Elementor. And the thing is, like, when we swapped to Elementor, we used it like we used to use Thrive Architect, which is creating every single page with it. But ever since then, Gutenberg came out, which is essentially the new WordPress editor. And I know a lot of people hate on it as well, but we actually like it. And uh, we pretty much all the WordPress content for posts and pages that we try to rank on Google these days is actually put on Gutenberg. And we use Elementor for the theme building abilities. So making our headers, making our footers, making the post layout. Uh, we use advanced custom fields to create custom layouts for reviews and stuff like that. So we use Elementor a bit differently than you would use a basic page. You know, I've more. seen, you said a lot, of a lot of people hating on Gutenberg. I have not seen many people hating on Gutenberg lately. I've seen a lot of people saying, oh yeah, Gutenberg's amazing. You don't need Elementor or, or anything We don't like hang that. out in the same places, clearly. Um, <laughs> well, maybe not. But I, I just remember when Gutenberg came out, everyone, like everybody oh, yeah. was like, this is terrible, installing the WordPress classic plugin. But now, like, I really, I don't see people doing that. It's, it's good. I, honestly, I, I like, it's kind of a compromise. It's like, it's still simple enough. So it doesn't really blow your code too much. Obviously, if you add you know, columns and stuff like that. Well, you have to add divs to your code. It's just the way it's built, even if you build it in custom, in normal HTML. So there is a degree of bloat that people will call, will call if you add custom formatting, which is normal because it was the same way in HTML. But like a lot of SEOs don't really understand how things normally work and then just complain about it for page speed. So yeah, it's like, but if you keep a simple page, it keeps the code pretty pretty okay. And some code that you might see in, um, in the code editor in Gutenberg actually does not show up in the source code of the page. So you've got to be a little bit careful. So for example, they put some um, some tags, you know, like put like a Gutenberg paragraph and then at the end as well, et cetera. These don't show up in the source code, but people look at that and they're like, oh, it's bloating the code, et cetera. So it's not too bad. It's not perfect, but it's not too bad. And I think uh, I quite like it. We build most of our pages with it and I don't feel handicapped like I used to feel handicapped with the classic WordPress editor, which is a massive step forward. And I think if they progress it even more, it's like we will use that for pretty much most of the content that we use. Let's talk about why we switch from Thrive, though, because when we switched from Thrive, actually, there was no Gutenberg. We switched from Thrive to Elementor, and there was still only the WordPress uh, classic editor, which was not the best to create content. And the reason we switched from Thrive is we liked the idea behind the plugin. It was probably one of the first tools that came out, that, as I said, that allowed you to do visual drag and drop. But it was it, extremely it was completely revolutionary in that, in that regard, yeah. yeah. But it was inconsistent. So sometimes you would see something in the editor, you would like render the page and it would just not look the same. I was buggy as well. Like it, like you would, like the options would, like you would click on something, you would not trigger it, or you would, if you trigger an option, then it deactivated the other one for whatever reason or something. One time we did a launch for H Pro, and because of glitches with it, we like the page was completely white for like some versions of Safari, for example. People could literally not open the page, which was extremely annoying. And we've had several occasions where we had bugs, et cetera. And so at that point, we didn't really know where we were going, but we were willing to take the heat of like not dealing with that inconsistency anymore. And we switched to Elementor that was pretty new at the time. And that honestly was less feature heavy than Thrive was at the time. And it was lighter, which is kind of funny because now Elementor tends to have more features. And actually, let's be honest, get a little bit heavier than it used to be. Again, depends on what you put on your page. If you put every element from Elementor, it gets heavy. If you put a simple page together, it's not too bad. But it's like it's funny to see Elementor go a little bit in the direction where we didn't like Thrive going. But what Elementor has over Thrive is it's a lot more consistent and it doesn't bug, right? We've done like very important pages on, on Elementor, sales pages, etc. And Whenever there was an issue, Elementor was rarely to blame, and we've been able to rely on that. And yeah, we've been able to build really beautiful uh, pages with Elementor, and it just has more options as well. It's just more in depth, and I'm able to. I was actually like working on the new version of the site today on Elementor, and I absolutely love working with that tool. I think like it's quite important for me like how you like working with a tool because if you don't enjoy using it, then my God, it's like it's a, it's a pain in the ass, and you just don't end up doing the what you're supposed it's, to do. It's really hard to quantify that sometimes as well, because it could be that just simple user interface and like how fast it loads and like little the colors, you know, little things like that that make it more enjoyable to use. 
Yeah, Elementor is really nice to use. I really like it. Like the right click, you can copy paste elements, etc. Like it's, it's amazing. Like I can I can work really really fast. I work faster on this than I would work with a designer to put a page together. Like it's faster than giving feedback to someone to me to work with this, and to the point where I don't even use designers that much because it's just faster. And then if I wanted to get it recorded in something else, I could do that. But I would almost do a mockup on Elementor because it's that fast. However, there are things that I miss actually with, um, with Elementor so, and, and the setup that we have. And I think I want to talk about that as well because not everything just gets better when you swap. The first thing I miss is actually Strive's angle is being is for marketers, right? So they integrate directly with your like webinar platforms and email marketing platform and all that. And Elementor has some of that, but it's more their angle is more for designers, which is where you have more options for design and it's kind of cool, etc. And I'd say the code is cleaner. However, they're missing marketing elements. For example, we didn't have star ratings for ages on Elementor, and we, I wasn't able to do like proper review templates because of that. There was no table of content, which for bloggers is quite annoying, and we had to, we built our th own third-party plugin. What you see on Atari Hacker today is actually a third-party plugin we built ourselves for Elementor so that it would actually work. And so that was extremely frustrating when Stripe had it out of the box because they understand marketers a lot better. They did add it recently, though. There was the content reveal that we did use on some sales pages as well, where you know you had the, the VSL, and then after like five minutes, then it would reveal the rest of the sales pages, like the classic old ClickBank tactics. So they had these kind of elements that you don't find on, on Elementor, and they understood marketers better, the call to actions, etc. Yeah, there's some really good thought behind the, the design of that, that tool. Thrive gets it. They understand what marketers need. They're just unable to always execute it in the way that we would like it to be, basically, which is a little bit annoying, but I know they're working on it, by the way. So I haven't tried it in a while. Actually, it's one of the YouTube videos I want to do at some point. I want to do like trying Thrive again two years after quitting it or something, because, you know, it's like you got to give that a chance, right? I give them a lot of feedback and, um, and a lot of people did. And uh, I know they've been working on it, so I'm going to try it again at some point, actually. Here's my question to you, though. Would you use Thrive again? Strive Architect? No. Okay. <laughs> any, no. any justification? I just fundamentally didn't like using that tool. It didn't click with me, the user interface. It was, it mm. was always what I would see on the design versus what I've seen in the finished web page was always different. It seemed to just be like horrendous with responsiveness. And I, I mean, it got better later on, but I think in the early days, I think it did, it, yeah. like every single site that used Thrive kind of started to look the same after a while. That was true for most page builders at that time, though. Like, you've got to contextualize. So it's like, I wouldn't blame them for that. At some point, basically, page builders started with just like elements that you can barely customize, just change a few colors, and that's it. And now it's what we know, which is you can pretty much build anything with them. Not everything exactly, but like 95% of sites you could build. Yeah, I think, I think I wouldn't, I mean, again, I would like to try it again. I haven't tried it in a while. But I'm just happy with our setup right now. And, uh, and I tend to go for as simple as possible when we build sites now, which means that um, I'm trying to clean up the code of the site. I'm because for things like feature snippet, for example, the quality of the code on your page is quite important. Uh, and which is why I'm actually even kicking out Elementor from the main content area. I'm letting Elementor handle you know, the design of the site and the what's around, but the main content area, I'm letting I'm sticking to WordPress so that we actually get cleaner code there and Google can scrape it and we can get the feature snippets. For that reason, I would probably not do it, and, but I would probably not do that for most page builders in my content area. So to be fair, it's not just them. Let's jump onto the next tool. Let's talk about, and we're going to jump on Strive Leads because we used to use that as well. We've collected hundreds of thousands of emails with Strive Leads. And because we've jumped out of Strive, basically, we replaced it with Optin Monster for different reasons. Honestly, Strive Leads is the best product that Strive makes, I believe, in terms of quality of how well it's made because the alternative, which is Optin Monster or like some other ones, cost so much more money and don't even have all the features that Strive Leads has. Like the A-B testing in Strive Leads is by far the best, like the system is by far the best there is on any plugin like that. The fact that you could um, put custom links and people clicked on the link and then they wouldn't see your pop-up or they would see a different pop-up. So you could like flag them, etc. When you send people through social media, through email, etc. And you could like uh, get more opt-ins. Even the expensive plugins like don't really do that really well. So I, it's probably the, the Thrive plugin I missed the most. That was great. However, it was also inefficient in the code and like um, it was slowing down the website a lot, like really a lot. And like you know, if you try to open the report for the leads, etc., it would literally crash your site sometimes because it would like query the database. So that was pretty bad. Actually, I had the podcast with Matthew Woodward, right? And we talked about that. And he said that when he switched with the same design from Thrive Leads to Optin Monster, his Optin rate almost doubled just because of the performance issues. 
So that is the main thing. Because, but the thing is, like, my answer to would I use this tool or not is different because yeah, hundred percent, I would use Thrive Leads again. Exactly. Sure. It's like that's why it's great. It's a great tool. And if you don't like, if you're like just starting a new site and you want to build an email list, and like I don't want to pay monthly like twenty nine, thirty nine, forty nine dollars for that. I want to buy a plugin. I think it's sixty seven dollars. Thrive Leads, one of. And it's like for that, it's great. And like to build your list to like, you know, ten to fifty thousand, twenty ten to twenty thousand, maybe it's fifty thousand. I would show it before that, but ten to twenty thousand subscribers. Like when you're starting off, like I would take that toll on the on the resources, and I would try to rely on a CDN, etc., to like help with the page feed, and and I would use Thrive List because the A/B testing, etc., would allow me to build my list so much faster that I would accept the cost. If I'm on a budget and I'm not willing to spend to pay a monthly fee, which every better alternative will charge you monthly, um, so yeah, it's like not I'm not as hard with Strive leads as I am with um, Strive Architect actually because the the competitors are not nearly as good. Anything else you want to say on Strive leads? Oh, by the way, the builder as well, like the you know how you create your pop-ups or your call to actions, etc., is a million times better on Strive leads than it is on Optin Monster. It's pretty bad on Optin Monster, so it's like. It's Monster is something that is less convenient that you swap for when you're like reaching a certain scale because for the end user it's better and that, that you like gain like and this page feed, etc., which is great when you're big enough, but when you're not big enough, then it's not worth the trade-off. You'd rather just execute fast, etc. Um, but yeah, the builder is way better. The only better page pop-up builder that exists is actually Elementor. But the problem with Elementor is they have zero analytics. So you can build a pop-up. But like you have no freaking idea where people come from. Uh, you can just put them in different lists, I guess, but it becomes messy because nobody uses lists now. Everyone uses tags and so on. So Elementor is just like you can create beautiful pop-ups and you have no freaking idea if they're working. So yeah, I would I would use Strivelys on a new site that focuses on building a list, and I don't want to pay for Optin Monster for that site. No, I mean I think it's a fantastic tool, Thrivelys. I would 100% use it again. Exactly. All right. Let's see if we didn't uh, we didn't bash Thrive for bashing Thrive because I don't want to do that as well. It's like they're they're, they're actually trying. It's just I, I disagree sometimes with the word implement stuff. So. Take the next one. Next is Basecamp Trello. So I mean Trello was really popular a couple of years ago. I mean people still use it to a certain extent. Basecamp. Basecamp. It's probably Basecamp's probably the most popular or the most widely used like organization task management thing for teams. I love the user interface of Basecamp. It's so simple. We used to use it a lot in our our agency business for um, like organizing stuff, organizing projects. We had clients on there and stuff, and the communication. It was it was nice. We used Trello for a lot of our editorial processes initially, for kind of ordering content and like scaling up production. So we had, when we had like different writers and editors and publishers and all that kind of stuff, it just got to the stage where it was a little bit. Cluttered, I think is the right word, and it, it kind of starts showing its limitations. Asana, on the other hand, which is, it's, I think it's actually produced by one of the guys that started Facebook, isn't Facebook, it? Facebook, yeah. Yeah. Dustin Moskowitz or something, I think? Yeah, for, for the longest time, it was absolutely free, and I, I couldn't understand what they're doing. Like, why is this tool free? It's like, it's better than all the others. It was much worse than it is now as well. They had like a previous yeah. version that was pretty shit, actually. Yeah, but. Oh my God, has it like come on? It's really like a super advanced tool now. It does. It's basically on par with the likes of Jira and that in in terms of complexity. So you can really do a lot of stuff. There's like dependencies now. They have the, the different calendar view, uh, like smarter automations. You can and if uh, you like Trello, you can make the Kanban board. You know, you can do the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Asana is it's what we use for task management throughout the team. It's what we use for building. Uh, like editorial processes, we have a blueprint in AH Pro about showing exactly how we do it. If if you remember and you want to check that out, but it's just yeah, it's so much better. Like the custom fields that they added as well, it it allows you to do so many different things. You have a news feed, as many nested tasks like subtopics, subtasks. Um, Unlimited nested task is amazing because like basically like in real life, what happens is like you give me a task like, hey, can you take care of this on the page? And I'm like, well, to take care of this, I need a designer to do this. I need uh, some content, and I need our tech guy to look at something, right? And then I can 
So I don't even have to assign the task to a designer. I just assign the task to the person who manages the designer as a subtask. And then that person can make a subtask to the designer that does that. It just goes back up. And so it's like this unlimited uh, nested task. It works really well when you have a bigger team and when you want to really organize this thing. It's kind of like folders, basically. You can just make folders and put stuff in and it works really well, basically. So I like it a lot. But it's expensive. It's really yeah. expensive now. It's like 15 bucks. Uh, 15, 20 bucks a month per user. And it that's not like me and Gail and like our core team users. Everyone, that's yeah. every single writer, every single editor, every single link builder person that touches this in any way, shape, or form is on there. So while we don't have a big team at all, like single digits numbers, not including the freelance people and stuff, we have like a really big bill for this just because we have so many, so many people use it. I mean, the bill for Asana is much, much higher than the bill. It's because for, a lot of like, freelancers are in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. because of freelancers are in there. So it's like so it really adds up. It's not a cheap tool anymore if you want to use like the advanced features. And some of the, the stuff, so some of the good features like custom fields and that are only in like higher tiers as well. So do you miss your money when you pay the bill? Do you feel it wasn't worth it? Oh no, hundred percent. It's great value. It's just, you know, for a software tool, when you look at how much you spend a year, it's probably our second highest cost after yeah. active campaign. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's also the page that you always have opened, etc. I say I'm, I don't feel bad about it. It's still a low cost of running business. I mean, fifteen bucks per employee. Like when you have an office, how much do you spend per, per employee? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think this is the best, like the swap for the office cost, because if you have an office, then I mean, I mean you might still have that system, but like you know what I mean. It's like it's the infrastructure basically. Would you still use Trello? No. I, I never liked Trello. I, it just didn't click with me, the user interface. Like we use it in um, the authority site system to make the to-do list, which we have. Because we can course. share it. That's the only reason why we use it, because yeah. it's shareable. <laughs> because people like Trello. But I've, I've, never, I've never liked Trello, no. That's why in the Blueprint on Authority Hacker, it's quite frustrating. People have to do it themselves. So I kind of like made the, the task copy so they can just copy paste. But I can't share it the same way I made the project for them on Trello, which was much better. But a lot of people who run sites do use Trello. I think if you run very simple projects, it's good enough. But as soon as you start having a lot of tasks and like more than three, four people, then it becomes quite, quite blue. Or if, if you're honest. producing like, you know, 10, like 50 to 100 articles a month, yeah, then yeah. it just gets it's, a bit bloated. Yep. So that's what we use. Let's talk about site speed because people love site speed. Uh, so we're going to talk about WP Rocket. I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode. So we've been using WP Rocket for like two, three years, which, and it's, Definitely, like, you know, compared to when we did not use it, it, our page speed got better, right? And it was not bad. However, we recently switched, switched to a tool called NitroPack. Uh, I talked about this a few times, actually. But the truth is, despite the fact, like, like and I'm talking about Autoria Hacker here, we, despite the fact that we, you know, hired some services, that we were paying for plugins, that we were doing all these things, uh, the site wasn't that fast. It wasn't that, it's like, it, it was okay, but like, you know, for a big article, sometimes it would take like 10, 12 seconds to load, etc. And that was quite bad. Like, I, I'm not obsessed with page speed, but like when it takes really long, it's really annoying. And um, an H Pro member shared Nitro Pack on Otoy Hacker. And I tried it. They have this tool that you can just put your URL and you will see what the difference is. And it just showed me like the site would load in like two two seconds or something. And the page feed score would go from like 20 to like 98 or something. <laughs> and so I, I tried it. I, there was a free trial. So the thing is like these tools could easily try to be optimized to fool the tests, which a lot of like the attractors of that tool will tell you. They'll be like, oh, but NitroPack, they're just optimized for the, for the speed test, etc." which I do think they do to some extent. And the thing as well is like the way they, they, they compress your like HTML, your CSS, etc. Sorry, sometimes it's in line, so it's in the page code. So it's like not the cleanest way, to, it's not the cleanest to look at, but I don't think Google minds that much. However, what I've looked at is I've looked at the average time to load pages on Google Analytics. And I think it's the best benchmark because it's not how fast your server is ultimately, it's how long it takes for the actual users to load your page. So even if they have slow internet, if they're far from their router, if they have like 2G, not even 3G or whatever, like all of that will be counted in. And you see that graph in analytics, and when I switched to NitroPack, it just did and it just dropped. Like there was a massive drop in this. I showed you this graph actually, and it's like that's what's telling me 
that it's actually making a difference for people and not just from, for benchmarks. And ever since we've had one problem, actually, in a recent launch, Nitropack, the, they have, basically they do everything. They do your image optimization, uh, they resize them for the, for the browser, they do everything. And the image optimization actually got buggy. That's the first bug I ever had with them. And I had to cut that part so that, and then it loaded properly. It was only on like Safari. Uh, very weird. So there was that one bug that happened with us, and I'm happy to share that bug I've, with the I've, I've read a couple of people saying that when you have uh, like ad-heavy layouts, there's there's certain issues with when that. So you need to it. exclude the JavaScript from the ad. So you need to find. So you need to right-click your ads, inspect in Chrome, see which what is the name of the JavaScript file, and then there's an exclusion area in the in the in uh, Nitropack, and then you can just put the name of the file .js, and then they will not cache it, and it works. So it, it it does take to do that, but if you do that, then it should work with ads, and I've made it work with ads, and, and it works just fine. Actually, I've, I've run it on the site that runs uh, Ezoic and uh, Medianet, and it works just fine. So it is possible to make it work. It takes a bit of setup. The same way it does take setup with WP Rocket. WP Rocket has the same issues. Like If you don't exclude some JavaScript files, it gets buggy. So that is basically what it does. It works really well for us. And it's like you don't have to think about anything. You set it up, and they re-optimize your pages all the time, which is quite nice. The problem is it's expensive. Like, and they get you, because if you go on nitropack.io, um, you're like, uh, you check their packages. I'm actually on their packages now. And you're like, oh, the cheapest one is $23 per month if you pay yearly. And you're like, OK, it's not that bad. It's 23 euros, I guess maybe $25 or something. The problem is they get you because they only give you one gigabyte of resource storage, which includes your images. So it works for really tiny sites, but if you if not, then you need to upgrade to the next one, which is basically $49 a month for the unlimited storage of your resources. So most people will need the $49 a month, which is definitely not cheap. So again, you know, I mentioned that at the beginning of the episode, I don't use that on every site that we have. If it's a small site, like 49 bucks a month, I don't think it's worth the money. I think something like WP Rocket, when there's less plugins, when the site is not complicated in the first place, then I'm happy to only, WP Rocket is like 49 a year or something. So it, it's a much better value for money, but as soon as the site gets serious, Nitro Pack, and then I just get a better page speed and I don't have to think about it. I can focus on content and links instead of focusing on page speed. And I, when I check on like Surf or something, I beat most sites in page speed. So that works pretty well for us. So yeah, that's one site that we use, one um, tool that we use. Do you want to take the next one? Yeah, next one is Zencaster. So we used to use Zencaster to record our podcast. It's a very, very nice tool for doing audio podcasts, especially with guests, because anyone can, you can give them a single link, anyone can join. They don't need to download any tool. Uh, you have all the audio, all the standard audio options and recording capabilities. Uh, but what it does is it, record, it records each person at source. So it records them on their own computer. And then at the end, it will upload both the MP3 and the WAV to, to Zencaster. And there's some limited functionality where it can, um, uh, you know, if, if you drop out, it will like save some of it sometimes. But generally, very, very good tool for recording an audio podcast. The only reason we switched away from it over to what we now use is a mixture of, we're, we have a Zoom call to do this, so like a, a video call. So I'm hearing Gail right now over Zoom, but we're using OBS, which is really, it's a, a tool for you know streamers mostly, but you can do it to record any audio, any video source. And so we record through uh, our, our camera setups with all our lighting and stuff, and we record our audio and our expensive mics at source in like really high quality. So we can produce this podcast on video, but also produce a very high quality uh, audio version as well. So really, that's the only reason to switch back. Would I switch that we switch? Would I switch back to Zencaster? Yes, if I was doing a an audio only podcast in a heartbeat, I would I would use it. Especially I would not do an audio only podcast guests. anymore, though. I don't think it's yeah. worth it. Like podcasts should be video now. It's like promoting on audio podcast platforms is very difficult. It's much easier to promote video. So it's like for, if for whatever reason you. You can only do audio, do that, but like honestly, like video is the way to go for podcasts now. Let's go on the next one. Dropbox. We used to use Dropbox a while ago, actually, but we switched to Google Drive with FileStream. FileStream essentially is the same as Dropbox. You get a folder on your on your computer and it just syncs the file whichever way. Some files you can sync, some files you cannot sync, so you don't use too much hard drive space. We switched mostly because we use G Suite in-house. And so uh, the fact that everything is integrated and integrated with uh, Google Docs as well. 
which is what we use to create content, etc. We use it with like the Surfer uh, SEO editor and so on. It's all in one place. It's nice. That's basically it. Uh, otherwise, they don't really do anything else. And would I use Dropbox again? Yeah, it's a good tool. I still use it for like backups, like when like I save videos in two places. So that let's say my Google drives get hacked and like I have it somewhere else or something. Yeah, that's basically it. But Dropbox, it's an okay tool, but I prefer Google Suite because it's better value for money as well and it's on purpose, I think. It's just super nice having it all, like, because we use Google Docs, Google Drive, G Suite, just having everything in the Google ecosystem um, is, is nice. I mean, it tends, everything tends to work quite well to, with each other. Although it was uh, was difficult when we did the migration from one G Suite to the yeah. other and accidentally deleted our YouTube account once. Which so. is why we still have half the subscribers we used to have them. <laughs> Despite yeah. all our efforts to actually create content for YouTube. <laughs> Whoops. Good. Next one. I mean, I honestly can't believe I'm, I'm saying this, but we used to use, there was, for, for about five years, we used Skype as our oh, primary God. method of communicating. We had 30 people in our company using, using just their own Skype accounts and like various group chats and like various like horrendous video quality, uh, audio quality calls. It's impossible to search, impossible to find anything. So a lot of people don't know Skype originally. It was kind of pioneering away. It used peer-to-peer technology, which is great if you both have amazing video Pretty connections. Yeah. But like the more complexity and the more randomness you kind of add into that, and the more often you use it, the more you'll see that Skype kind of sucks a bit with uh video quality and audio quality. Um, when Microsoft bought it, they took quite a few years, I think, to move it over to like a, their own servers. And so like it did eventually improve video quality. But now, you know, in this pandemic, which, which we're in, you don't hear anyone talking about, oh, let's Skype. It's, everyone's like, oh, let's Zoom now. That's the new verb. Um, so we do use Zoom a bit, but primarily we use Slack for, as, as many companies do. Use Slack, Slack is a bit shitty for the calls though. Like it drops off a lot more than Zoom. We had, uh, yeah, so about six months, a year ago, we had real problems with uh, with Slack and we stopped using Slack for, for calls. Because, yeah. It was fine for me. It was just Kale and uh, one other person that just like, could not get it to work consistently. So but we, we actually did our first Slack call uh, today. Today. <laughs> uh, and it worked, worked really well. I was like, uh, let's so try maybe, it. Maybe maybe we'll have to try again. Maybe they've actually they've actually fixed it. Yeah, but, but we've been no. using the meet.google.com, which is uh, essentially a hangout for Google Suite, and it works really well. For me, it's the best call, pretty much the best call uh, service out there. If you're using G Suite, use that to call your team. You like, you know what it does? Like, you get these micro drops of connection sometimes. Like, you just get disconnected for half a second, or something, and a tool like Slack will just disconnect you. And it was just like you will drop off the call. It's annoying. Whereas Google just catches back you up in there and rejoins you pretty much instantly. And so what it does is your voice gets a bit shitty, etc. But you stay in the call and you don't have to rejoin and we fight for it, etc. Works really well. Uh, I think Google is actually the leader in terms of quality for that. I'm very surprised people use Zoom, but I think it's because they don't know about it. But yeah. And you don't need to download anything for for it yep. either. It's uh, in browser. It's all browser based. It's amazing. But yeah, Slack is, I, I love Slack. All the channels you can have in there. We have like feeds of like a new customer support query, a new sale comes in. We have channels for that. Uh, you can just like organize your company much, much easier. Um, yeah. With, especially with like guests and stuff as well. So let's jump on the next tool though. And that's going to be Photoshop. We used to use Photoshop, I remember, to do our featured images, to do all that, et cetera, which, I mean, now we have a designer, but like I still like occasionally jump on like some images or whatever just to like for quick marketing stuff. And kind of like the, the combo we use now is we use Canva for a lot of the marketing stuff. Canva is really good now. Can't remember how much we pay per month. Like we have the pro, which you get, you get like more than 60 million stock images with it as well. So you pay and you get stock images plus a really good editor for like, if you're not good with Photoshop, you've never learned, etc. Canva is what you should use. It's very easy. And the templates make it really, really fast to do stuff. And on the desktop end, I use a Mac and I use a tool called uh, Pixelmator Pro, which you pay one off on the App Store. And it actually is really good. It's like it works even like on the MacBook Air really fast, etc. And you can still do things like resize images, add some text to all that stuff, etc. And you don't end up paying a membership like you would pay on Photoshop. So the thing with Canva is you, you go in and like even if you, do, you don't have any sort of design experience, you kind of know how to use it. Whereas you go into Photoshop and it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? What he means you know, is he can need, do something on Canva. You need you need you need like <laughs> a degree in graphical design in order to use Photoshop. It's that complicated. So even Mark can use Canva, so you can too. So 
Yeah, so basically, yeah, Photoshop was very complicated. It's expensive. I like the simplicity. And I like the speed. I like I can just go and get something out really quick. I have my templates. We have, like, for example, we have a, I'm going to plug it now. We have a secondary YouTube channel for this podcast where we actually put the clips, uh, like the best bits of it. We actually upload them. So if you want to check that out, it's called Atari Hacker Clips. Uh, you can just search that on YouTube and subscribe there, and you get just the best clips of this podcast if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing. And for the thumbnails for that, we have a template in Canva and we roll out like, you know, 20 thumbnails an hour or something. Like it's really, really fast. And I like that. Uh, for like secondary graphics, et cetera, it's perfect. I'm missing absolutely nothing from Photoshop. Would I use Photoshop again? Probably not. Pixelmator Pro is actually quite in-depth if I want to do some stuff and it's much cheaper. Affinity Photo is also good if you use Windows. And Canva is great for site uh, illustrations. Honestly, you could just use Canva and that'd be enough for most cases. So that's what I would recommend you use. Let's jump on the next one. The next one is Member Mouse. So we initially, when we launched our Authority Hacker Pro, it was a membership. So we're looking for a membership plugin, and we found Member Mouse. I'd say it's more than a membership plugin. It's not it's just checkout and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for if you if you have a WordPress site and you want to have if you want to sell info products or have a membership on there. This will like kind of do everything. Uh, this was in the day, you know, before Teachable and Thinkific and these kind of like very high profile, like lovely UI ones. Um, so going back to like 2014, 15, when we, we first started looking at it. And, you know, to be honest, we put a lot of business through through MemberMouse. It worked. It helped us get off the ground. It was like a one single place that like just everything around the customer, their their payments, what they were doing, their access, the user control so you could stop like random people seeing your private content and restrict it and you could do rebuilds and it was, you know, it was good. It was fit for a purpose. Uh, the problem is it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, an automatic car, you know, you just get in and it, it works and for the most part it's fine. But whenever you want to make like some like fine tuning or you want to like do something which is like a little bit different from what the creator had I had envisaged, then it just, it was, it was useless. It, you couldn't do it. You do, couldn't exercise that fine control. So what we use now is we actually use three things that replace it. So LearnDash, which is a, an LMS, um, learning management system. We use ThriveCart, which is our, our shopping cart, which we use for Nothing to do with Thrive. Themes. Yeah, not, not related to Thrive, Deans, Thrive Architect, anything like that. And then Member, Memberium, which uh, controls access to, to users. And we, to be honest, Active Campaign also is a big part of this because we use a lot of like tag based systems for, for controlling access. So it's essentially four tools that we use to replace. Yeah, the it. membership is Active Campaign. So it's based on the tags from Active Campaign. So the, ta the shopping cart puts the tag on the email system. The email system is checked to give access to people from the membership plugin. What I like about Member Mouse, though, is it starts at $20 a month. So if you want to start an info product company, it's really cheap. And actually, it's, the shopping cart is surprisingly good. It works with uh, Elementor, for example, as well. So you can create like quite nice looking shopping carts, etc. Like The stock shopping cart is not good, or it wasn't good three years ago. But you can edit it quite easily, and uh, exactly. it works quite nice. It's just short codes. So it's it's like you can do something quite good for twenty bucks a month, and I think, again, like like my I was always asking myself, will I use this again? Yes, I would. Use, if I was starting a new membership, and it's not making any money or, or whatever, like absolutely. So it's actually quite decent. It takes a bit. It's a rough around the edges. It's like it reminds me a bit of Thrive themes. Yeah, Thrive it, I was gonna say like it's kind of built with marketers in mind, like Teachable and Thinkific. Like they're they look nice on the sales page, but when you actually get into it. I have never been that impressed with the actual um, experience. If you want to do any kind of customization to those, you can't. If you want to customize member mouse, you can in a way, to an, ex to an extent at least. So yeah, it's a pretty good company. If you're studying courses, it's actually, I would probably do that. I like WordPress. I like building on WordPress. I would do that. And you can actually use it with a Landash. You can use them together. And it's pretty cheap together. It's like, Compared to paying monthly for something like Thinkific of Teachable, it's much cheaper and you will have much more control together with something like Elementor. Holy shit, you can do pretty much anything. Okay, I'm going to talk about hosting here. We used to host our sites on DigitalOcean. Uh, it was cheap, very cheap. Like you can rent servers for not a lot and they have really beefy specs. Uh, the problem is these servers are not really made to run for WordPress, so you cannot need to customize everything yourself. I need to do it through the console and stuff. It's very hacky. And there's basically zero customer service. And I remember when Chiang Mai 
and like our sites were like our sites started going down and I didn't know why and I had to like reboot the servers myself to for these things to actually go back up and it woke me up like four times at night or something <laughs> and I had to like go and like turn my computer on and like reboot and everything and I was like fuck that not was the not was the hassle I need something else honestly it was me also not being a proper sysadmin and therefore if so if you're a sysadmin like DigitalOcean is great and it's great value but if you're not like an, a tech whiz, then I would not recommend it for these reasons. Because when you take a normal host or like um, something that uh, essentially a managed host, they do that for you. And we switched to Kinsta, which is quite expensive. Uh, however, the support has been freaking amazing. Like I'll tell you the story from literally yesterday, right? Uh, <laughs> like yesterday, we closed the launch uh, from HPro, so we're recording this the day after. And uh, the site started going down. Like someone was working on the site. It's like, hey, I can't use the site. And I go on the site, it's like down. And I'm like, oh God, what's happening? And I had to go for a meeting. And uh, I go to, I'm like, guys, I go to the chat on Kista. I'm like, guys, can you please look at this? I have absolutely no time to do it. I need to get out. Please take care of this. Do whatever it takes to bring the site up. To which they did. And then when I came back, they literally, the site was back up and they realized it was a DDoS attack because I guess we have friends that, that really love us and decided to DDoS our website. And they blocked all the IPs that did that and the site was back up and running and everything was fine. So that's the level of service I got we get with Skinstar. It's not cheap. Uh, we spend several hundred dollars per month just for like a few sites. So it's quite expensive, but it's hosted on Google servers as well. So it's quite fast. You get a CDN built in. And the, the, you get the staging that works really well as well. You can one-click push it to live, which we do a lot of like side changes that way and so on. What you're paying for with Kinsta is the support. And it is like one of, if not the best support of any tool I've, I've ever seen. Like remember when you were doing that webinar and the site went down. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you're you like on one hand like typing, please fix our site. And they did while you were still doing performing a live webinar. Um, they were able to like turn off a tool, a plugin, which was like doing a scheduled yep. maintenance or update or something like that. Yeah, so it's like you essentially pay for a service, like a real service, and that's why it's really expensive. And together with the hosting on Google server, uh, Google Cloud servers, which are really quite expensive to rent, and you can check a host uh, a service like Cloudways, for example, which doesn't have the same level of support, but they, they allow you to host on uh, Google Cloud. It's so much more expensive than everything else, which is probably why you pay for that. However, there's a few things that annoy me with Skinstar. Uh, the first one is the number of PHP workers you get for your site, which is essentially the number of threads that the machine can run at the same time. So you, you need quite a few of them if your site is complicated, basically, and they don't give you a lot. We actually realized that we didn't have enough yesterday. Uh, and the storage space as well. Like you don't get a lot of storage space. We actually we actually pay extra for storage space because we have like large media libraries and so on. And it's a bit annoying, but actually it's not really their fault. Is Google really charging an absolute ton for storage space on uh, Google Cloud? But if you're going to be on Google Cloud, it's going to cost you a lot for storage space because it's kind of what's annoying. It's expensive, but again, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like Nitro Pack, right? I, it's like I put Kinsta together with Nitro Pack. Yeah, it's expensive. Uh, basically, together, it's like qu quite a bit of money. But honestly, I don't focus on this at all. I can focus on content, marketing, links, and that kind of stuff, and actually moving the needle. I make the money that it costs, basically, rather than fight with the tech. So that's why I quite like it, and I have no regrets. Would I use DigitalOcean? No, I would not. However, if I wanted to run something on a chip, on a high-performance servers, I would probably use something like Cloudways. It doesn't have the same level of support as Kinsta, but it's much cheaper. So maybe you can start there, and then when you are doing a lot of money, then you can switch to something a bit more expensive like Kinstar. Do you want to do the next one? Next one is Crisp. So it's crisp.chat. Oh the next one is Crisp. That's crisp.chat is the URL. And this was a support tool which we used for uh, maybe one to two years. Uh, it was an AppSumo deal which we picked up. So I think we got like a really cheap, it might even have been a, like a lifetime offer. Primarily it's a live chat tool, but essentially it works. It gets messages in from, from anyway, from email, from Facebook, and you can have multiple people sort of respond. And it's just basically not a very good tool. They built like a really nice chat so you can like take over people's screen and like help them out and all sorts of stuff. So that part is great. But the rest of it, as is the case with, unfortunately, many tools which you find on, on AppSumo, um, not all of them, but, but many, is it's just not very well executed. Uh, and there was just ridiculous things like you would, if I went in and viewed, not reacted, but like viewed a ticket that came in, 
I would open it and it would like mark it as red and like move it to the bottom of the pile. So like the next support person on a different account logging in wouldn't see it like near the top. And just like little things like that, it was, uh, it was not a good tool. We looked around quite a lot at the other options and we migrated over to Help Scout, which is, has been an absolute game changer for us in terms of support. It used to take us, you know, days to get, to get back to respond to queries and, um, you know, loads would get lost and like all these kind of stuff is, is horrendous. But if you, if you're a customer of Authority Hacker and you uh, email our support, you'll, you will get an answer on average within about four hours uh, during, during business, business time business hours, which is, which is pretty good for such a small company such as us. How, yeah, Help Scout, absolutely amazing. Really happy with all the data and analytics it gives you. Just It's one of those things like the user interface is just absolutely on point. There's really cool automations you can build in there, integrates really nicely with uh, Zapier and a bunch of other things. And yeah, just all in all, if, you're, if you have any kind of customer support to do, um, I would highly, highly recommend it. There was one other tool which is big in support. I forget what it's called, like Zen support, Zendesk. Yeah, it's much helps gets much cheaper than Zendesk, so that's why that's why we cho- chose it. Yeah, I think it's good for like info products if you're like selling info products or courses or something like that. It works really well actually. And no, I would never use Crisp again. <laughs> okay, do you want to do ClearBooks? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's another one. We used to use a cloud accounting tool called ClearBooks. First of all, if you're not if you're not using any kind of cloud accounting, if you're just sending your invoices to your bookkeeper accounting once a quarter or once a year, then you're making a mistake. You need to know your numbers as a business. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. There's nothing better than a cloud accounting, cloud bookkeeping tool to do this. Uh, ClearBooks, it's a UK company, so it's very much UK focused. Um, we used it for like maybe a year, year and a half, and we're completely sold on the concept of this. However, it didn't really integrate with some things. Uh, there were some issues like PayPal, Payoneer, TransferWise accounts came out. And what it, what I saw when TransferWise uh, borderless accounts started integrating with other things, the first integration they built was zero. And that's really important because all of these other tools, Revolut is another one, the first integration they, they usually build is, is zero because it's just the most popular one, it seems. So yeah, that's really the reason we we switched over to using it. Uh, also, shout out to our bookkeepers, BeanNinjas.com. I think most of their or all of their clients are on zero, and I can see why. It's just globally such a such an amazing tool. It takes us takes me probably five minutes a week to do bookkeeping now uh, with this tool, with all the automations that the Bean Ninjas have built in there, all the rules and stuff, and yeah, just complete game changer in terms of visibility over how our businesses are doing. Yeah, and I'm going to do the last tool, actually. So actually, you put MailChimp in the list, but we didn't really use MailChimp before that. We used Entreport. We used Entreport before we used ActiveCampaign. So we switched. This is for email marketing, which is not outreach. It's email marketing. And we switched because Entreport had pretty bad deliverability and was extremely complex, and maybe even too complex for us at the time as well. I think there was a part of us not being ready for the tool as well uh, as much. But I never looked back since I switched to ActiveCampaign. ActiveCampaign is my favorite email tool. I've used Infusionsoft. I've used uh, pretty much everything. And I think ActiveCampaign is the best. The automations that you can do now with Facebook ads and Facebook audiences and all of that, you can A-B test, you can track conversions with it, etc. I absolutely love it. However, when we signed up for ActiveCampaign, it was pretty much on par with like the... Um, it was pretty much on par with the other tools on the market. And what happens is that they slowly increase their prices. And now it's a pretty expensive tool. It's probably one of the most expensive tools on the market. Uh, our active campaign bill, if you want to compare it to our Senate bill, <laughs> it's a lot higher. It's like we spend about $10,000 a year. Yeah. And, 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 and we're about to upgrade to the next package as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at like a small full time salary at this point. But at the same time, it's the only it tool for. of all of this that we actually pay for yearly. Yeah, because it's so expensive. We save money basically. Like usually, we pay mostly for most. Not, not only that, but like we we are very yeah, much like committed it. committed to it. We really like it, and we see ourselves staying with Active Campaign for for a very long time. So we're comfortable paying. Yeah, in advance. I, it makes us money. Like it works well. It makes us money. 
Uh, the A-B testing, et cetera, is just excellent. Uh, the, the, the reports are not the best always, but that's the one thing that is a little bit uh, weak. However, yeah, if I start a new site, would I use Active Campaign? No, I think it's too expensive, especially if you're running just a basic. If I was running a product-based site, yes, I would use Active Campaign if I was like running sales sequences and stuff like that. If I'm just like a, an affiliate, I would be using MailerLite. Uh, MailerLite is much cheaper, still has some automations, uh, still has quite a few integrations as well, et cetera. It's really like half the price. So actually, like I, I plan on like talking more about email marketing and things like Ahrefs, et cetera. I will use MailerLite for the examples just because like Active Campaign now is becoming almost like a semi-enterprise tool. So I don't think most site builders need to invest this much money unless they're running heavy product-based businesses. If you're a pure affiliate, then I would say MailerLite is a is a better option. So. Yeah, would I, would I, but otherwise, um, yeah, I love Active Campaign. I think it's probably one of the best put together tools that we have. That's it for the list. Anything Just, else? That yeah, there's yeah. one more. As we were doing this, I thought I'd put an honorable mention in there for Yoast SEO. So, Yoast SEO is a SEO plugin, helps you do a bunch of like on page SEO stuff, meta descriptions, all that kind of fun stuff. We used to use it, we switched away from it. There was a huge there's a number of problems actually with it uh, a while back. I can't remember exactly what the issue was though. Was it like causing? Oh, they they indexed the media pages, so like yeah. the pages with your, and then it just created like thousands of pages on your site and made your site look super thin, and a lot of people lost their rankings. Yeah, so pretty catastrophic. Um, and I've also just saw today on Facebook someone posting something about something else they apparently just did recently as well. So. Um, it seems like that move was uh, was was a good. Yeah, good, no good regrets. Move. We moved to SEO Press. Uh, SEO Press is good, but Rank Mass is also really good and free for now. Um, so I would say like we, we use SEO Press now. But if I start a brand new site, then I would probably use Rank Mass at this point, just because it does almost the same thing. Not exactly. It's not as good. I still prefer SEO Press, but for the price, I think Rank Mass is better value. So I would, it's just like, I don't want to change on existing sites at this point and we have a lifetime uh, license for SEO price. So that's why, but um, yeah, if we reshoot uh, stuff, then I'm going to use a uh, rank mass actually. So that's basically it for the tools guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that will make you consider your tool swaps uh, and that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to like this video, to subscribe below. And you can also subscribe to the audio podcast if you want. Uh, to listen to it and not be on YouTube. Uh, it is going to be on Spotify, on Google Podcast, on uh, Apple Podcast, and on SoundCloud. And also, I mentioned it earlier, but you can search Atoya Hacker Clips on YouTube and you will find the best moments of the podcast if you don't have time to watch like a really long episode, which is another place where you can find this content. So we hope you enjoyed it. We will see you next week. Have a good week. Be safe. And see you later. <laughs>